morning we're going to be digging into the most difficult passage for a male preacher to preach on, and it deals with wives. It's kind of like uh, opening a can of worms because you know that you're not going to be able to satisfy everyone, especially when you deal with the text this morning as Paul continues to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, are you all warm in here? Yeah. Um, if I could ask maybe the ushers to come and adjust the air conditioning, is it, is it working? No, it's not working. One is. Okay. All right. Mac, if you could help with the thermostat, that'd be great, but don't worry about it. Yeah, I invite you, if you have a coat on, to take it off. I will not. I'll refrain from embarrassing you that way. This morning, as we get into the Word of God, I do want to invite you, as we stand, to hear God's Word. And, and uh, I'm little, um, this is the first time we're using an overall PowerPoint system, and so I'm wondering how that's going to work. But if we're going to bring that up over the head, is that possible? I have control. Are you all ready for this? This is exciting. John, Jesse, thank you. Um, we're going to be looking this morning at Ephesians, and we're going to be looking at the fifth chapter, particularly dealing with Christian wives, the role of the wife. And so in light of that, there are some things that you need to prepare your heart for in looking at this text. One is that when you think back on what we've studied in Ephesians, Paul has been teaching us the importance the vital importance of understanding what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. That is, He's taken you from the kingdom of darkness and He's brought you into the kingdom of light. That He has forgiven you of your sins. That He has cleansed you and made, him, made you His own. That He is creating a new creation called the church. And it is a, a creation truly made up of people, both Jews and Gentiles, who are who are giving themselves to a new movement in the world. It's a movement where people are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so because of that, Paul it says, listen to me, you now who believe in Christ, you need to remember this. You are now called to live a life worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? Are you earning your salvation? No, because you are already saved. You are already forgiven. You are already part of God's family. You have now been included in God's great work of redeeming you from darkness to light. That work has been accomplished. It has been completed in Jesus Christ. And so as a Christian, you are not going through life earning God's favor. You already have it. You're not going through life earning God's forgiveness. You already have it. And so when he says live a life worthy of the calling, he's saying that a life worthy of the calling is that you maintain your unity with Jesus Christ. That now that you have come to know God in a relationship, not in a ritual, not just by attending church, but by coming into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you are now called to live a life worthy by maintaining that unity in Christ each day. This is why we read the Bible every day. This is why we pray every day. We're in a relationship. Could you imagine being married and never speaking to your spouse? Could you imagine that? Some of you are saying, I know exactly what that's like. <laughs> no, you don't. The truth is, 
No one is in a relationship that doesn't have communication. And you cannot be in a relationship with God without a communication, without communing with him. That's why we call the Lord's Supper communion. What are we doing? We are taking time to remember and talk with God about the great work of salvation he did for us in remembering the bread and the wine is his body and blood. But the second part of that life worthy is growing in maturity. Now here's the good news. All of us know we're not what we should be. Amen? But there is a process in which we're trying to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so there has to be a commitment, a dedication of each Christian to want to grow deeper in their understanding of who God is in Christ and to begin to adopt a way of life that represents what Christ is doing in our life. Just as we have come to know the love of God in Christ, we are now called to share that love with others. We are to even love our enemies. Do you hear me? How radical that is. It is so antithetical to the way the world works. We are called to love people who are different from us. We are called to love them the way Christ has loved us. And so in that growth of maturity, Paul has instructed us in leading a life of growing in maturity that is worthy of the life that, or the calling to which we have, we are to no longer live as unbelievers do in the futility of their thinking. That we were taught certain things. What were we taught? We were to put off the old self, which is the sinful nature, the desires that we had that once led us down paths that did not please God. Now that we're forgiven and redeemed and part of God's family, we're to learn to adopt how to live differently by putting off, changing the way we think, and putting on the new self. This is what we were taught. And so each day is a struggle for us in doing that. It's a struggle thinking, okay, Lord, is this your will? And if it's not your will, then help me to resist it. But if it is your will, then help me to do it and help me to change the way I think about things. Do I look at people as if they're God's loved ones or do I look at them according to their sex or their race or their geography they were born in? You see, all of that must change, Paul says, because you are no longer Jew or Greek. You are one in Jesus Christ. You are a new creation called the church of God. And so because of that, you must learn how to imitate God by walking in the way of love through Jesus Christ. How did God love the world? He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And you show the love of God when you tell people of why it is that you believe in Christ. You show that love to others. When you stand for the gospel in a world that laughs and makes fun of it, why do they laugh? Because they see the gospel as foolishness, absolute ludicrousy for those who are unbelieving. But the Bible says for those who believe in him, it is the wisdom of God, the power of God for salvation. And so in talking about this whole business of growing up, becoming mature, he then turns specifically to the family, and this morning we're going to deal with the role of the wife. In other words, if you're a woman and you want to be married, 
You are called to be a wife in that role as a Christian. And what does it mean to live out the gospel as a wife? Well, I invite you with, with all candor to stand with me and join me as we hear God's word this morning, beginning with verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, the, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I just realized my watch says that we're out of time and we have to go. Let's, <laughs> let's pray. Now, now, why would I be tempted to say that? Because you and I look at this word submit and we recoil. Because in our culture of the United States of America, our God is liberty. And with that, we worship the God of licentiousness. And you say, well, what is licentiousness? It is unbound freedom to sin willfully. And remember, we were talking about in this chapter that Paul is directing his attention to those who believe and their sanctification, meaning they're becoming more and more like Jesus. And so I, I want to be very candid. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you've never understood the gospel and asked God to forgive you of your sins and come into your life, this is going to sound so foolish to you. It's going to sound ludicrous. Because in your scheme of things, in your worldly view, you want freedom to live any way you want. And for the Christian we are not given freedom to live any way we want. We are given the freedom to love God when we could not love him before. And loving God, Jesus says, you will know that you, people will know that you love me by the way you keep my commandments. Isn't that interesting? And so our, our endeavor to live righteous lives is not based upon some inward power we have. Our ability to live righteous lives comes from a relationship to a power to Jesus himself who is our power. He is our strength. He is our ability to live out a life pleasing to God. The Bible says that it is impossible. Excuse me for this microphone. It's just really irritating me. I can't get it quite right. But anyway, it is impossible to, to please God without faith. And so the first thing, women, you must understand in this passage is that God is asking you to take this word by faith, that it is his word to you as a wife, not as a woman, but as a wife. Now, why is that so important? Because as a woman, God has made you co-equal co with men to receive and inherit the kingdom of God. Paul writes in another letter that there's neither male nor female, slave or free, all are one in Jesus Christ. And so what the Christian faith has done in the world is it's elevated women from a position of being property to being co-equal inheritors of God's grace. 
So that in the church, interestingly enough, in the church of all places, women are given the same status, the same ability to call upon God that every man has. That there is no distinction before God. That if you're a man, you're no closer to God than a woman is. And if you're a woman, you're no closer to God than a man is. We are one in Jesus Christ, one church. And because he is Lord of all, we all have the same ground, the same standing before him. One Lord, one faith, one gospel, one spirit, one church. Well, then in light of that, then, what is Paul teaching here concerning submit? Well, please notice in verse 21, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Who is he talking to? He's talking to everyone in the church, both men and women. You are to submit out of reverence for Christ to one another. Now, I don't know about you, but being a pastor for 27 years, one of the hardest things the elders have to deal with in this church is people submitting. Because anytime we make a decision concerning the life of the church, there is always one or two people who say, I don't like that. Did you know that happens? I don't have to say any more about that, do I? Because we all know that when you get two people together, you form a Baptist church, and when they fight, you form two Baptist churches. <laughs> Please forgive me if you grew up Baptist. It's just an illustration. One of the things that you and I must be recognizing is because we are Christians does not mean we have the corner on righteousness, meaning we don't live out our righteousness in ways that are consistent. We don't deal with each other in ways that are holy and righteous before God. And so in light of that, you and I must understand that the opportunities of conflict in a church are opportunities that God brings into the church's life so that we might understand where it is we're submitting ourselves to God and when we're not. Do you hear me? You see, the goal of God informing you in Jesus Christ is that you be, would be submissive to Jesus. And in being submissive to Jesus, you must be submissive to each other. Well, what does that mean? It means you must treat each other with the same care that you would treat Christ. I was talking with the youth group this morning as we were going through the Gospel of Mark, and one of the things I asked them was, what do you think happens when the pastor walks in the room? And they started giggling, and they said, you know, uh, everyone seems to behave better. I said, why is that? It only lasts until the pastor leaves the room. Or if he doesn't leave quick enough, the pastor becomes embroiled with it. Why is this? We endeavor to live better lives when people see us in public because we want to persuade them that we are good people. And there's the lie. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to make bad people good. He came into the world to make dead people alive in Jesus Christ. Those who were once dead to God, who did not want God, who did not follow God, to suddenly have a desire to become followers of Jesus Christ. And so in light of that submission 
is the crowning characteristic of a life that understands what God did for them in the cross and they are dedicated to living a thankful life. Can you say that word, thankfulness? Can you say that? Thankfulness. This is the crowning characteristic of the believer, that they are living life out of thankfulness. Now, unfortunately, as Americans, we have come to the place where we have satiated our lives with so much pleasure, we no longer know what to be thankful for. You say, Robert, challenge. I challenge you on that. I said, okay, great. I talked with someone two weeks ago who lost their husband at 29 years old. And in that loss of that person at 29, they are grieving horrendously the loss of every dream they ever look forward to having and the words that she spoke were regret because what she said was I wish I would have treated him better because I now know what I have lost I wish I would have understood that before I lost it and lived that way This is what happens to the Christian in a relationship with Jesus. We come to understand what God's done for us in such power that we love Jesus so much we are willing to love and serve him regardless of what he asks us to do. And this is where Paul begins to focus. And by the way, you women who feel that we're kind of singling out being a wife, next Sunday... We deal with being a husband. And if you think that God is asking a lot of you to submit to your husbands, you can't wait to hear what God is asking of the husbands because it pales in comparison. And what I mean by that is God, men, God expects so much more of you in your submission to him than he ever expects of your wife. So I can't wait to the next sermon. Well, let's get through this one first. Please notice first that Paul gives us a principle. He says that you are to submit yourselves as a wife, not as a woman. But the moment as a woman you choose to take a man as your husband, you are at that moment voluntarily submitting yourselves to your husband as you do to the Lord. And so in that process of sanctification, that process that God is calling you as women out of the darkness of the world into the light, he is calling you into a position, a role, not as a gender but as a wife who in being a wife as a female is carrying on a role that God has ordained for you and it is a role that he wants to use to sanctify you, to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. And so the goal of God is not to oppress you, which is exactly what we think when we hear the word submit. God is not in the business of oppressing us. He is in the business of bringing life to us, abundant life. And so in teaching us about this role of the wife, he first of all qualifies it by Paul using the word in the Greek for submit 
or to yield as a voluntary submission. Meaning some of you wives are going to have struggles with this. You have to daily decide whether you're going to voluntarily of your own will yield to Jesus Christ in following him in this way. And you're going to find out very quickly that not only do your husbands not deserve sometimes the submission you give them, that they probably deserve worse, like a, a lamp across the room hitting their head, or maybe a frying pan gonging their head. That's the imagery the church has talked about in the past, but this is the amazing thing. Paul is never giving us the image that you as wives need to do everything your husband says. Honey, go toast my toast. Bring my slippers. Get the paper. Take care of this. Take care of that. Paul is not teaching that kind of submission. He's talking about a submission leadership in your family to where you respect your husband's decisions concerning the future livelihood of you together. He is calling you as a wife to trust that God is leading your husband to submitting your whole family to Jesus Christ. I, I dare say that principle is really challenging, isn't it? So is submitting to Christ. It's just as challenging. You see, if I just said to you, or if Paul just said, submit yourselves to God, then you would say, okay, I'd like to do that. And then you would decide how to do that. You would make the decision of where it is you are submitting and where you're not submitting to God. But the Word of God would not allow that because in that sanctification of your life as a wife, God clearly says that the wife who understands this work of Jesus Christ in your life, God is now asking you to demonstrate this grace by voluntarily submitting to the leadership of your husband. And in that voluntary leadership, you're not doing it out of resentfulness. You're doing it out of thankfulness. Because you trust that God is working through your husband to sanctify both of you. It then leads to the second part of the text, which really speaks to this, and that is the reason for this. Please notice this, because you, you can't take the first two verses without dig, digging into the rest of it. Please notice in verse 24, excuse me, let's start with verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, why does Paul use that terminology? He uses it in one beautiful fashion, and that is before Jesus came into the world, the place where people went to experience God in a relationship was a temple. And in that temple, there was the center where God's presence was, which was called the holiest of holies. And outside of that room was an area that was designated for the priests, and only those who had been purified and cleansed and served in the temple could enter that room. 
and it's like peeling an onion. Outside of that room was the court of men where only men could enter that much closer to God. And then outside of that was the court of women and outside of that was the court of the Gentiles. And so to have a relationship with God, you had to go through, if you were a man, you had to go through the priests who then would go into the holiest of holies and make your offering to God. If you were a woman, you had to go through your husband and through your husband would offer to the priest the offering and then in that endeavor, the priest would go before God in the holiest of holies and offer your sacrifice. So that basically the relationship, whether you were a man or a woman, the only relationship you could have with God was through a priesthood that God had ordained that was imperfect and sinful just as you were who had to offer sacrifices for their own sins and then hopefully God would hear your prayers. But now in Jesus Christ, God has eliminated the old temple worship because the hope of that temple worship was that one day God would make his presence among all men and women that has now happened in Jesus Christ so that today men and women do not have to stand in courts outside of the priest who will go into the holiest of holies, but through Jesus Christ who is our priest, we enter his presence together, both men and women, as one new creation. And how did that happen? It happened because Christ went to the tree and died for our sins. And on the third day he was raised from the dead so that he could give to each one of you his righteousness. So that as Paul uses the imagery of taking off the old self and putting on the new, the new self we put on is that righteousness which Christ earned in his life but now gives to those who believe in him so that they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and stand before God blameless. So that God doesn't see your sin any longer. He sees the person Christ died to save in his completeness, in her completeness. We, we talk about this when Christ returns, that God will remove the presence of evil from our lives. We're talking about a state of glorification where the salvation began in Jesus Christ to rid the world of evil will have its culmination its completeness when Christ returns so that when we stand before God we will never have to be embarrassed about anything it reminds me of the priest who was attending in Italy uh, a, co uh, a congregation and a woman an elderly woman of the congregation came to him one day and said I have seen the Lord in my room and I don't know what to do and the priest wasn't sure whether she was having visions or maybe too much wine or something going on else in her life. And he said, listen, go back. And if he appears to you again, ask him what the besetting sin of the priest is, meaning himself. And so she goes away and she's gone for months until finally he's out in his garden looking out and sees the woman coming toward his his home on the path and he begins to, to sweat. His palms begin to break out in sweat. He begins to worry because he's thinking, okay, I told her to ask Jesus what my besetting sin is. And as she's drawing closer, he gets more anxious and anxious until finally she gets there and he can't take it anymore. And he said, did you see him? And she said, yes, I saw him. D did you ask him what my besetting sin is? 
And she said, yes, I did. And the priest said, what did he say? He said, I choose to remember no more. You see, this is what God has done for you in Christ. God has so cleansed you and saved you that he chooses to remember your sin no more. So that when you walk before him, he declares you blameless. No one can point a finger and say, up, look at there. Up, look at that. And what does the accuser do? He comes and accuses us constantly, doesn't he? Well, if God, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't do that. If you were a real Christian, that's what the accuser does. It's not what God has done. God has cleansed you in such ways that he's called you to be his people. And he has taken care of every need you have to stand before God. Now, if God has done this for you, how then do you live a life of thankfulness to God? By blessing your family as a wife, by respecting your husband's leadership. That's how. I can't tell you how trying it is to see family struggle with all kinds of things. Of course, I have the perfect family. I never had these struggles. No, we all do. When your kids come in and say, um, we want to go and, and party on Friday night. Can we go? Can we go? What do they do? They'll go to mom and they'll ask mom. And if mom says no, what do they do? They go to dad and they get, and before it's a ping pong match. You ever seen that? What's going on? It's a, it's a will, a fight of the will that's going on in the family. And so what happens is, and interestingly enough, have y'all noticed this? The kids know exactly how to push your buttons so that in the end, what happens? The husband and the wife begin to fight with each other about things. Have you noticed that? Where does that come from? The darkness of sin. And so when, when you as a wife hear your husband laying down the rules for the family, do you subvert him? Do you go to the children and say, oh, you know your father, he's not always there. Just ignore your father, I'll take care of it. What's happening? What's happening in that family? The instability, the dishonor, the overwhelming opportunity for the foothold of the devil. You say, well, Robert, that's fine, but what it says that, that as a wife I'm supposed to trust my husband in everything. Yes, everything that God has called you to believe and to do. If your husband asks you to go into the, the Walmart and rob the local register and take all the money you know that's not the will of God but if your husband asks you honey trust me that God will let me take care of the problem trust him I can't tell you how the devil 
has ripped apart family after family after family. And I have heard excuse after excuse after excuse that comes from the blinding darkness of sin that has caused families to disintegrate. The way the Bible paints this is interestingly enough. It says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Did you know that says that? So when you get married, what you should find is someone who really believes in God. Because if you yoke yourself, if you become one with someone who doesn't believe in God, then their motivations for living are totally different from yours. And the yoke was basically an instrument we don't use anymore, but it was used with animals when you were farming. And you would put two cows together, two oxen together, two horses together, and you would literally put a piece of wood across their back and hook it in such a way that one could not do anything without the other. And in that endeavor to hook together these two animals, many times the farmers had to write, find the right pairing of animals because if they had two animals that were dominant, guess what happened? One would try to go to the left, the other would try to go to the right. And in that dominance of each other, they are trying to have power and will over one another so that they have what they want done. This is where the fault of the idea of the, of the worldly idea of marriage falls apart is because Christ has come into your life to make you submissive to him. So that when you're yoked with your husband, you are yoked not only with him, you're yoked with Christ in such a way that you cannot understand any more than God's will for your life and do what is pleasing to him. So as you are yoked together with another believer, as you are bound together with those who believe, it is not your will you're seeking to exert. And I really want you to hear this. It is not your will that you're seeking to exert as a wife. It is the will of Christ. And so encouraging your husband to follow Christ Encouraging your husband to read the Bible, encouraging your husband to enjoy your life together as you fellowship with God. This is the calling of the new creation called the church. This is the whole business of what Jesus teaches when he says that a man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one. And in that oneness, there is a oneness of direction, a oneness of passion, a oneness of desire. And that is not to overcome each other or submit one to the other for that purpose of having your will followed according to your dictates. It is that you both would follow the will of Jesus Christ. And this is what Christ has done in the church. He has called people who are in darkness to himself so that they would be yoked together with him in such measure that they would live out their lives in obedience to him. And this is why God has called wives into this place of submission as to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so that where you struggle with this, get this, where you struggle to resign your will to the will of God, you can see it tangibly in how you treat your husband. Let me give you an example. When Cindy and I first got married, and by the way, it was the only time we got married. Up until that time, 
both of us were very independent people. And being independent, we pretty much did whatever we wanted to because we had no one to be accountable to. And so in our 30s, we got married, and suddenly we, we went to a wedding ceremony where everybody was so excited for us, and we were excited because finally we could become man and wife. We could finally live together. We could finally enjoy the fruits of our marriage. And sure enough, when the wedding was over, we got in the car, and I looked over, and I saw this woman, and I didn't see the person I'd been dating for over a couple of years. She changed. She was my wife. So at that point, I could not just get out of the car and say, I'll see you next week. Had a great time at the movies with you. Wonderful supper. I'll call you. Don't call me. None of that is on the language of marriage anymore. And in fact, one of the things that was interesting is I found that in submitting one to another, there were places where we both had to begin to change our way of living to accommodate each other. I used to teasingly say, when I took off my shirt, it stayed wherever I threw it until I picked it up the next time. Jim's laughing at me because he was in the Navy. They never allowed that to happen. It was, a, it was a fiasco because the first year of marriage, there was this whole idea, okay, how do we live together? And the summation of the marriage that we have, the only reason Cindy and I have been married this long is not because I'm such a wonderful person. Just ask her. Or that she's such a wonderful person. She is. The only reason that we have stayed married this long is because we have been committed to Jesus Christ. Because there have been rocky times. Questions where we have really looked at ourselves and said, what do we do? And it took great submission by her to listen and to work out the will of God in my life, not hers, in mine. It took great submission for her to wait for God to work through me in such measure that then we could see that the decisions we were coming to were blessed because God's way was being honored and not our own. And if you think we did that every time, I've got some land off the coast of Myrtle Beach I'd like to sell you. You see, this is the whole process of sanctification. So if you find that you're beginning to recoil, if you find that yourself coming back and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is the place that God wants you to begin to work on in your submission to him. This is the area of sanctification that is so needful in your life. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but have you noticed how strong-willed the person is beside you? Have you noticed that? Here's the better question. Have you been able to see how they have become more like Jesus Christ? 
That's the purpose of your marriage. I close with this. It's the question on sanctification. What is this work of sanctification? It is a work of God's grace. Meaning there has to be a lot of forgiveness given, extended, and received. Sanctification is a work of God's grace for those whom God has chosen to be holy. Holy before the creation of the world and to whom the powerful operation of the Spirit applies the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so those who would follow this path have, their, have thus renewed in their whole person after the image of God they have the seeds of repentance unto life. They have all the other saving graces that put into their hearts so that they are aroused and increased and strengthened each day to be more and more alive to God and dead to their sins. I don't know if you've thought about it, but there was a time when women were tremendously honored in our culture. Have you thought about that? When a woman was coming into a store, men held the door for them. When a woman would walk into a, a room, men would stand, not just one, every man would stand in honor of that woman. When you would take a, a woman out for, for an evening, the man would go and open the door. I missed that opportunity one time, and, and I was reminded the magic was gone. <laughs> why, why did we go to all that trouble as a culture at one time? It was because we realized that the wife was lovingly submitting herself to Jesus Christ. And men wanted that kind of woman and would honor her for doing so. And then teaching entered the church where women were seen as property. And they were told, you have to obey your husband in everything he says. And they were abused. And in the church, women were castigated as people. In the name of Jesus. I even heard someone tell me after they married four different women that he was never successful because he never found the right submissive woman. Men, be careful. If your wife really loves Jesus and she's going to submit to you, she's putting her herself in a place of trust that you will lead her to becoming like Jesus Christ. This is the new humanity God is building. You say, well, Robert, what if, what if I'm not married to a Christian? Then trust God.
Listen to your husband. Everything he asks you to do in the boundaries of what is pleasing to God, do with a full and glorious heart, but always remember that submission is always accompanied with thankfulness. Be thankful. Be thankful. You say, wow, that was tough. Wait till I have to preach to myself about what it means to be a husband. It is a, a high calling in a world that has forgotten what a husband is. Let's pray. Father, there are probably some women here who are so angry because they have been so abused by men. Instead of being honored and cherished, instead of being respected and loved and cared for, when they have given themselves to men in relationships, they have found nothing but heartache because in their desire to love their husbands, they have found themselves passionless, deeply hurt and overwhelmed. I pray, Father, that you would help them to forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. I pray even more so, Father, that as, as women in this church begin to think deeply about their own sanctification, their own method and their own journey of becoming like Christ, that they would begin to deal with you about their own will and about loving Christ where they are called to love him. My prayer is that the church of Jesus Christ would once again become such a vital source of truth for both married couples and singles that we would begin to rejoice in the salvation you have given. That your word has never intended to bring oppression to anyone only loving freedom under a Lord who is at work to conform us to the image of Christ. And so this morning we pray for the wives in this congregation. We ask that you would not allow them to become doormats, but that we would begin to see the fruit of the Spirit grow continually so that as we see wives submitting to their husbands and loving them and caring for them, that God, they would begin to exhibit Jesus Christ in his character. We also pray for husbands because we are going to study in verse 25 that husbands are to love your wives. I must confess, Father, the world doesn't understand this. But now that Christ has come into our lives, we know that he can heal each and every one of us. That Jesus, you can take the brokenness of our lives and begin to restore and renew our spirits. 
for that reason, we ask, Lord, help us to honor marriage and the roles to which you've given us. We ask and we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the people of God said together,